Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada condemns the Russian attack on Ukraine. History tells us that we cannot stand by as great power attempts to redraw borders and conquer its neighbors. And today is a test of our resolve. That is why Canada has a clear and present stake in this conflict. The Prime Minister revokes the Emergencies Act. After careful consideration, we're ready to confirm that the situation is no longer an emergency. Therefore, the federal government will be ending the use of the Emergencies Act. We are confident that existing laws and bylaws are now sufficient to keep people safe. Sources close to Stephen Harper say the former Prime Minister would oppose a Jean Charest run for the Conservative leadership. He's totally not forgiven Charest for, uh, remember Charest was Premier of Quebec and he took uh, a massive chunk of federal money to address the uh, the fiscal, so-called fiscal imbalance and then handed it back to Quebecers as a tax cut. It's Thursday, February 24th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. Let's start with the situation in Ukraine where the Russian attacks have begun, international reaction is happening, and Vladimir Putin has issued a threat to anyone who tries to interfere. Uh, This is obviously a very tense moment that could very rapidly escalate. So um, what's... What, what's Canada's role in this, along with the international community? Uh, what will you be watching for in the hours ahead? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, Mark, I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, we've, we've known it's, it's likely to, to be coming, but when it happens, it's still shocking that, a, that, a, that a, a war like this, a major war, could break out in Europe. And Vladimir Putin is suggesting that anybody who intervenes on Ukraine's side will... Uh, be on the receiving end of a weapon of retribution. I mean, that's that's a pretty heavy end of a nuclear strike. I mean, it seems almost remarkable in the 21st century that that uh, the politics of the Cold War have, have returned, but they have. It is a country that doesn't behave by the rule of law, and so we're all going to have to adjust and, and uh, figure out how we respond. I mean, I think uh, from Canada's point of view, um, Justin Trudeau is going to talk to other G7 nations today. We're talking about more sanctions. It's kind of ironic that at the time while we're talking about sanctions, European countries are still going to be buying oil and gas from Russia. I mean, a third of the fuel burned in, in Europe is from is from Russia, and they, there are apparently so, there's apparently some reluctance on countries from countries like Italy and Germany about doing the one thing that might make Putin pause for thought. I mean, he has massive foreign currency reserves at the moment, somewhere around 600 billion US dollars. But a sustained sanctions on, on, on energy would would really hit him. I mean, apparently over the course of a, a month or so, it'd be $20 billion in lost revenue. So it's a really tricky situation. I mean, obviously we can't, uh, we can't send troops into Ukraine without risking massive es- escalation. But I do think that... Uh, but the, the 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 NATO allies have got to hold pretty pretty firm and draw their own line in the sand. Yeah, and and let's talk more about that because obviously there's risk in either scenario. Uh, if you push back against Vladimir Putin, he's already making threats as we've discussed. But if you 
if you don't push back, then then it's licensing Russia and Putin to to continue uh, this type of activity. So it's a very difficult choice, obviously, for Canada and its NATO allies. Right. I mean, you know, I'm looking at the moment on the BBC website of a, a map of NATO's expansion since 1997. Fourteen countries have joined. None of them border uh, Russia except for the Baltic republics and the ukraine is seen as a buffer now as ukraine started to move towards the west that was obviously a a trigger point for the russians um you know i think that we've been a little bit insensitive to the thinking in russia that's allowed this to happen in that you know we don't think there's any threat of invasion to russia but that's not how the russians think i mean it's ingrained in them because they've been invaded repeatedly through their history by the Poles, by the Swedes, by the French, by the Germans twice in the last century. And so there is a mindset that they have to have a buffer against the West. Hence the invasion of Ukraine, which uh, Putin thinks he can get away with. But it means that the next, if we don't draw a line in the sand, the next thing he's going to do is, is he's going to look, well, I got away with that. I'm now going to look at Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. Canada has troops in Latvia. You know, they're all NATO members. If, if there was an invasion of any of those countries, you have a, a, a major European conflagration. And I guess at the moment we're, we've got to wonder what is Canada's role. I think one of the things that Canada can do, and I was writing about this today, is that we have ample supplies of energy. If we can get our energy to the West Coast and export it to Europe, which is not going to happen overnight, but but it will be a 20 to 30 year fix, then this gives Europe and it strengthens Europe's hand or NATO's hand and the Western allies there, and give them an alternative source of energy. What What do you see the political response? I mean, obviously, already Justin Trudeau has has condemned the attack and, and said it's in the strongest possible terms, but what else do you expect from, from the government in Canada in as the as this scene unfolds in, in, uh, in Ukraine? Well, I think there will be moves to, to limit uh, the access of... Russian banks and Russian businesses to the to the international financial system. I think trying to, to isolate uh, Russia financially is is would hurt him. I mean, he is Putin does have these massive reserves of of uh, financial reserves, and the and the price of oil has just gone up. It's now above Brent crude is now above a hundred dollars for the first time since 2014, which also helps Putin because he's going to have more revenues because we're still buying his oil. But I do think that the, the unilateral um, or the universal condemnation of Russia, with the exception of China, has been pretty stark. I mean, there's, there is absolutely no support for what he's doing out there. All right. Uh, obviously, this is a story that's going to be changing by the minute today. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, John, let's just touch on a couple of domestic matters uh, before we wrap up. First of all, uh, the government, the prime minister, revoked the Emergencies Act Yesterday, and it, it it was interesting to see how that played out uh, because depending on which side of the issue you were on, uh, it was a different interpretation. Obviously, there are people saying that uh, it should never have been invoked in the first place, and that uh, and, and but at the same time, uh, there were others warning that the government was going to hang on to these measures for a long time. In the end, it ended up being in place for only a matter of days. Yeah, I think it's it's entirely right that it that it is revoked now that. The crisis appears to have passed. I do question why it was uh, the vote took place on Monday at all, given the fact 
it was pretty clear by Saturday that the the, uh, the streets of Ottawa had been cleared. I don't think there was a need for it. I don't think it met the, the threshold, which was essentially that there are no other tools in the legal toolbox to do what we need to do. I mean, we saw in in Windsor, in Coots, in, in um, Emerson, in uh, British Columbia, that the existing statutes were enough to clear those disputes. And and largely, I think the same applied in Ottawa. I mean, the people who are being who are being uh, prosecuted or charged are being charged with mischief, which was already on the statute books. Now, at the margins, did it help uh, bring in more cops from elsewhere more quickly? Yes. Did it allow the authorities to compel tow trucks companies to to tow the rigs? Yes. So I'm sure it helps at the margins, but obviously there is a cost to doing to bringing in draconian legislation like that, and that is the cost in the trust to our institutions. I mean, I think many people, there's a, a, an abacus poll this morning that suggests 30% of people did not agree with the Emergencies Act being invoked. So I think it was a, it was a bit of a sledgehammer to crack a walnut. Yeah, and it, and, it, I, and I think I think the, one of the reasons why why it um, it was revoked so quickly, I'm sure, was that somebody handed Justin Trudeau some poll numbers. And it suggested that uh, it was not helping; it was probably hurting him. Right. Um, this this issue, the the protests and the Emergencies Act, obviously, uh, the the choices of the Conservative Party during the last couple of weeks have been um, have have in some cases divided Conservative supporters, and and uh, and they've raised questions about the direction the party will take as a as a result of the choice of its next leader. Jean Charest, the former premier of Quebec, former federal progressive conservative leader, is said to be considering a run. And there were reports yesterday that Stephen Harper, the former prime minister, who many describe as the founder of the current conservative party, um, wouldn't want to see that happen and would would step in to, to fight against that, that he wants a true conservative to lead the party. So what do you think about that and about where the race stands, given the events of the past few weeks? Well, I think that's probably true about Harper. I mean, he's probably not forgiven Charest for uh, for people with long memories, and I'm sure Harper has a long memory. Remember, Charest was Premier of Quebec, and he took uh, he took uh, a massive chunk of federal money to address the uh, the fiscal so-called fiscal imbalance, and then handed it back to Quebecers as a tax cut. Uh, I'm sure that still rankles with Harper. Um, you know, he, uh, many people see Charest as a as a liberal, but which he was as a on the provincial scene, but obviously it was a progressive conservative before that. I don't think it's happening. I think this is going to be a Poilievre coronation. That seems to be what the party wants, and it seems that they're going to get it good and hard. I don't know how it'll play for them, but uh, the Conservative Party at the moment, I mean, one poll the Post Media had from Maru Public Opinion suggested that two-thirds of voters are going to uh, seek revenge on anybody who contributed or supported the convoys now contributed, I guess, might apply to Justin Trudeau, but clearly supported applies to a lot of Conservative MPs, and I yeah. think they will see that in the polls. I'm, su- I'm surprised somewhat the, the Abacus poll I mentioned earlier doesn't have them uh, sliding in support. They're actually neck and neck with the with the uh, with the Liberals in, in voter intention, but uh, I think that. The Liberals won't be slow in, in pointing out to people and reminding people that that there were people like Poiliev who stood with the truckers. And uh, that is clearly not popular in the country, and I think that will come back to bite them. Yeah. 
All right, John, I appreciate your insights on all of this. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We now have a choice to make as a society. We can choose to keep reliving these scenes that tear at the values that bind us as Canadians, or we can choose to remember who we are and the best vision of what Canada can be. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne argues, Our shared reality and the knowledge that undergirds it is being assaulted. Coyne writes, The blockades have been removed, but they are merely the symptom. The disease is disinformation. We are discovering for ourselves what until now we had observed secondhand. Large numbers of our fellow citizens can be made to believe almost anything. This is a challenge to our democracy, orders of magnitude greater than the disruptive possibilities of a few strategically placed trucks. At cbc.ca, Aaron Huery argues populist rage demands leaders who listen and choose their words with care. Huery writes, The convoy has moved on. The challenge of extreme populism remains. It's a long-term challenge, both for Canada's democracy and its political leadership. Smart and effective policy that provides meaningful support to citizens might at least shrink the pool of voters who might be drawn to extreme populism. If governments and legislatures show they can deliver solutions and relief, they might maintain faith in the democratic institutions that populists attack. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues Vladimir Putin is looking backward with dreams of an empire. The Star writes, The Russian president is apparently determined to correct what he famously labeled the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the last century, the dismemberment of the Soviet Russian Empire. As long as he is on that course, Western countries must stand with Ukraine. They are right to impose sanctions and should also be prepared to provide more direct military aid if the situation warrants. Putin's obsession with reviving a dead empire is leading him and the peoples of both Russia and Ukraine down a very dangerous path. The rest of the world must raise the price of his folly. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will participate in the G7 Leaders Meeting, then deliver remarks at the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation's National Housing Supply Summit. He will also participate in a roundtable with leaders from the Black community in Edmonton, along with the Minister of Tourism, Randy Boissonneau, and the Minister for Women, Marcy Ian. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference after touring the United Association Local 46 training facility in Toronto. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Quebec City. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino and Justice Minister David Lametti will hold a virtual news conference following a meeting with federal, provincial, territorial ministers of justice and public safety. Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra and Employment Minister Carla Qualtro will speak with the media about Canada's supply chain resiliency. And Northern Affairs Minister Dan Vandal will make a virtual announcement about investments to support jobs and economic growth in Yukon. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, February 24th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.